All right, it's going live right now. I'm going to kick back and let Spartan Grown in the room. This is Jack Greenstock. Sorry, I'm not going to be joining you all this week. This is Growing mm -hmm. with my fellow growers. Sorry we started a little bit late. I'm out of town. I'm going to pass it over to Kyle Breeder and the American one and the rest of the panel to take over. But uh, I appreciate everybody joining us this week, and I'll see you all next week. All right, take care, Jack. All right, yeah, so uh, I guess I'll, I'll start off. Um, sorry that we don't have Jack this episode, but, uh, you know, we'll miss him, and I'm sure he'll be back next week. Uh, but, yeah, my name is Kyle Breeder. I specialize in feminized uh, breeding. Um, and, yeah, I have a website where you can find seeds if that's what you're interested in and you you home grow or maybe you're a facility that grows. Um, but yeah, I have a, the website is pbreeding.com. You can look at any of my social media at Predicative uh, Breeding on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I'm, I'm doing a huge giveaway. So if you look at my feed, uh, you might want to check out my feed and, uh, you know, jump on that. It's, it's a free giveaway. So And uh, let's pass it over to Spartan Grown. Spartan, you want to introduce yourself? And I guess we'll keep just pass it, passing along. Sure. Uh, I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Or you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. And I am an organic grower at home as a home grower here in Michigan. Uh, at work, commercially, I grow synthetically. So I have experience on both sides. Uh, who's the, I don't know if you, were you the first one to talk, Kyle? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, first one. Dr. Copeland next. He's the next one on my screen. You guys talking about me? Yeah, introduce yourself. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guys. Got a, a, a little a bit of a shotgun start to uh, the, the show here, a staggered start or something. Sorry for um, that, everybody, but we're getting our acts together here. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. We publish articles, tutorials, and guides on the science and practice of growing cannabis. And um, I'm glad we got this thing going. Um, thanks for your your loyalty sticking around. Um, you wonderful audience. We were worried that you might all just give up on us and go away if we weren't here last week. And we struggled with it this week. So I'm, I'm glad to see so many of you in chat. And is anybody else with us at this point? Yeah, no. uh, yeah, I am oh, here. Oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. Go I'm, ahead, I'm no. pulling this up. We got Tao, yeah, the American one. All right, I'll step over, Noah. How's everybody doing? I'm the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore 18s on the IGs. Um, it's good to be here. I'm glad we got things going. Um, keep him, keep her uh, good vibes, send out good vibes to Jack Greenstalk and what he's got, whatever he's going through, and uh, yeah. And with that, I'll send it over to Noah the Grower. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, Noah the Grower on Instagram. You can find me there. If you've got any questions about what I got going on, you can direct message me or ask me on any of my posts. Yeah, I've been growing for about 10 years medically in the Pacific Northwest and uh, happy to be here. Sorry for stepping over you, Noah, to get to ATG. We also, or sorry to get to Tao. Now we also got ATG in the room. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. He's just now getting in. Yeah. See you there now? Aaron the grower. Kyle and Aaron. Okay. I just, I just connected. How's it going, guys? How's it going, Aaron? 
Good to we hear. Are, yeah, we're not we're not terribly well organized, but it is. You can go ahead and introduce yourself. Okay, wonderful. I am Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres on Instagram and YouTube and dot com. Check me out. I won't be too long. So yeah, good to be here, guys. Good to see you. Oh, MJ or Spurn, do you want when you guys want to uh, take the reins and and navigate yeah. this? Or? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead. Try. Um, <laughs> but first and foremost, I just want to thank Chat for like Doctor. I'm pretty much echoing Doctor Coco for sticking with us with our why we were trying to figure this thing out. But we got it going, and I'm glad Chat's in here. And there's a lot of names in Chat, and they're all tagging me. So shout out to everybody that's tagging me. I'm too slow to keep up. <laughs> But let's just uh, let's just start picking. Let's just talk about what's in your garden, and I'm, I'm sure we'll get a natural conversation to flow from there and topics to pick, pick from. So um, I'll do a quick. I'll be quick on my own garden because I don't have a lot going on. Um, I just the thing that I would I'm most excited for is my bliss bud that I've got going in flower right now. It's a cross that is a pineapple tie cross that I crossed with sour diesel and. Right now I've got three phenos of it and I'm probably, it's looking like one of the phenos will be finished in the next couple of days. And then the other two phenos might need up to a week, but I'm getting really close on harvesting, harvesting them. So I'm how many so weeks close. are those? Uh, pineapple tie, is that kind of like more than you push them kind of deep into the weeks or? Yeah. So the, uh, that's the thing is the pineapple tie. I liked the high that it brings and I like the flavors that it brings, but it's a, uh, if you take it too long, it'll hurt me on you. So I'm trying to breed that out of it, but continue to try to capture some of those flavors. And right now I'm on week, it'll be the end of week eight on the one that's really close. Well, they're all at the end of week eight, but I think that one's going to be an eight weeker. And then the other two are probably going to be closer to, I don't know, I'm saying nine, but I mean, it's hard to tell until it, you know, it gets closer right now. It could go at least a week. So I'm saying at least nine weeks on the other two. <laughs> you counting from flip or from, from flip, from flip. Yeah. From flip. That's pretty yeah, good. I, I just count first day of 12, 12 is day one. So the first day is 12 hours a day of light. That's day one for me. I, I think that's, that's I the easiest way to keep track of your own records. Um, yeah. But for that same reason, I start day one of the grow when I get the seed wet. And a lot of people like to start this first day of the grow like a week later than that, or at least several days later than that. Um, so yeah, to me, that's been day one is when I get the seeds wet and then I count flip days. Um, but I do think it's important to, to clarify that because it is about a week off and people do different counting. That's Oftentimes true. breeders will count from pistols. Yeah, and that's how that's kind of what you have to do when you're outside. You don't have a choice, so you have to right exactly. There's no flip or with with auto flowers too. If you're trying oh, to yeah. flowering time, um, the whole idea of there being a flip is sort of an artificial construct that we build into indoor growing with photoperiod plants. Yeah, I but wouldn't that, that be subjective though? Like one person calling it pistols might be pre-flower, or like do you guys wait till you see multiple hairs coming yeah, out? Yeah, no, that? it is. Yeah. it's a judgment call and it's sort right, of right. there's a continuous change in the plant that's going on there and you're just picking an arbitrary point along that continuous change to call it but in a certain sense it's less arbitrary because it's actually describing what's happening to the plant as opposed to like what's happening with the lights for the plant yeah yep 
Um, so, and different plants will respond to the light differently or like enter flowering in a, you know, quicker or longer after the, the flip. We, um, I don't know who has control right now of the Zoom, but can you allow, let me see, uh, uh, Zentinel, Matthew's waiting in the waiting room. I, I think I do. Hold on. You're, uh, I, I maybe, let me see what I can, I don't have hosting. I think I can work here with, uh, well, you know, multiple participants can share simultaneously. Does that seem like a good option to check? Uh, sure. That sounds Let's great. Let's try that one. <laughs> I was just going to say on the flowering thing, I'm pretty impressed sometimes with I'm watching plants and one's bulking up early and, the, and one's looking like it's going to be a week. And then like those last few weeks of flower, that weaking, weak, weaker or you know, less yielding looking plant just bulks up like mad. And uh, I've seen it a couple of times, but sometimes I'm like, it's hard to, you know, to quantify that also, you know? noticed the same thing man and so when i start growing a strain for the first time like it's new to me then i play this little game with myself and i push it as long as i fucking possibly can but i push these plants until i know that i've gone too far and then i can know for next time right that okay a little bit before that yeah that's <laughs> okay good. a little bit before that that's how i do that but as as far as how i called where i'm at in outdoor or as far it's mostly for outdoor is I grow them all inside all the time. Right. So I can tell by looking at the plant, once it's further along in flower, when it first starts setting on bud set or whatever, I can tell like, Oh, I know my GG four, for example, will start setting buds around week two or three. So outside, when I start seeing that unmistakable bud set, you know what I mean? It's like, there's no, you don't need magnifying glasses. You don't need any of that. Right, right. Yeah. that yeah. Then I'm like, okay, I'm in week two and then start counting from there. You know what I mean? That's how I do that for outdoor. There you go. But yeah, like you were saying, the first time run, I did that. I, I'm pretty much, I get itchy, but with the uh, velvet punch up twos from Jack and another thing, it looked like, like, it looked like they were done, but they continued and I just let them go too. Like all the hairs were red. There wasn't any more white hairs. There were, there weren't uh, amber trikes, but I just let it go. Any, there weren't amber trikes. So I just let it kept going. And back in the day, I would think, if if it if all the hairs are uh change color and there's no more white hairs coming out i kind of think that's like that's the plan i used to just harvest it straight away as soon as, as i've seen it like that more or less but yeah i agree with you a lot of, of times factors. a lot of these strains now are actually before i get going uh have, can we figure out how to get zentanol yeah zentanol sorry for not letting you in sooner but uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself Sure. Yeah. Like for those who don't know, this is Matthew Gates Zenthanol on YouTube. And I'm also in the chat uh, under Zenthanol. I'm an IPM specialist, integrated pest management, and uh, I'm always happy to be here. We had a little bit of a kerfuffle, but people are already aware of that. So, Yes, kerfuffle has been, I think, somewhat resolved. Yeah. It took a while, but we're we're on the air now. So, anyway, let's get back to shout it. out to that vocabulary. What a kerfuffle it really was. Yeah, kerfuffle is a perfect <laughs> word. <laughs> I, I was coming up with a whole bunch of sort of um, bluer terms than that, but kerfuffle is a good one. I like bluer, I like that. <laughs> so, anybody else want to share anything going on in their garden? 
And so I guess I'm going to say it's something you guys were just talking about. So ironically, <clears throat> I too have a couple of strains that will, uh, they'll go full red or all mature pistols before there's any type of cloudiness going on inside of uh, the trichomes and stuff like that. But I also have a plant that will literally in week five or week four go completely red on me and like almost like shutting down its own uh, like, you know, sexual functions to not get pregnant. It's, it's extremely weird. And it's not like, I thought maybe I had done something to the soil and like, you know, maybe they all, but like I've done different runs in different soils and different things. And it's still the whole plant just shuts down in week five. So uh, I actually just, uh, yesterday just got it, uh, spread some pollen on it in like week two or week three. And I was able to, I believe she's pregnant. I can't tell. I won't know until I see the development in a couple of weeks from now, but I just found that really weird as well. I don't know if any of you have had a plant that, that did that, or just went like full mature, uh, hairs and like uh, extremely you know early flowering phase but the trichomes were not developed or or were they yeah were they just she's, in, she's just in week four you know she's yeah like, that's fucking just, weird just, dude yeah just started but like goes completely red like all done like she's all set but still grows you know so it's uh it's just really weird um in the chat cheddar bob asked, yeah, I, was just yeah, I, saw, I saw that question asking about uh, getting mantid eggs so um honestly i don't recommend getting them in general that's that's uh probably the more important answer and i'll explain that a little bit basically most of the most i think people on the panel have heard me say this but uh, essentially most of the pests you're going to deal with mantids aren't going to be uh you know worried about them they get much too big they already start kind of big as nymphs uh the only kinds of pests i could think of off, off the top of my head like maybe some caterpillars, maybe even some spiders, possibly honeybees even, and other sorts of things that are uh, maybe kind of something you wouldn't want to put on the menu normally. Um, That's a get... really cool thought about this. Could you put mm -hmm. a fake praying mantis in your garden like a scarecrow just to keep shit away? I, I think that's interesting. So um, the thing is, is that insect eyesight, arthropod eyesight in general is abysmal. Uh, when we talk about, I mean, how can I say that when we have dragonflies that are like amazing aerial predators, but it's abysmal for like the kinds of things that our eyes do really well, which is like recognizing uh, with precise lines and everything. They're really great in general. Insects are very varied, but insects are do, do they do really good with like uh, movement, but things that uh, stand still, they don't do as hot with. Um, of course, that's a real, this is relative. It depends on what we're talking about, but no, I don't think that would be super effective. A lot of the pests of cannabis, for example, are practically blind. Okay. No praying mantis scarecrow. At least blind. the mites for that matter. That's far, that's actually not true for certain, for the insects, but, um, but yeah, they're not, they're not too. Uh, Do they have too other ways of detecting predators? Yeah, um, I, a lot of in, a lot of insects, just like their aquatic uh, ancestors and um, cousins. Now they really like to use chemosensation, so aromas and, and, and things wafting in the air or things that they can touch and discriminate. So maybe the scarecrow from. is just more an odor than it is. Yeah, like, you get a praying mantis yeah. scent in your garden. There you go. I'm gonna I'm gonna bottle that for you all. Ude, Ude mantis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. Um, but I actually don't, I also can't answer the question specifically, uh, even if um, that is the original question. I don't know at the top of my head, but I, I would suggest not getting them personally. 
Yeah, and the topic of chat questions, um, Northern Grower 4466 asked a question um, that I wouldn't mind sort of chatting about a little bit if you're done with that one, Matthew. I am, thanks for asking. Yeah. Here's the question. Uh, he says, if you hang the lights too high when you flip to flower, will that make plants stretch even more or they'll stretch no matter what? Um, I wanna point out that he's talking about two different kinds of stretching that plants do. Um, the, what we call the stretch, which is um, really bolting, what the plant does as it enters the flowering stages um, is not the same as what a like seedling does when it's getting insufficient light. Um, getting insufficient light will cause plants to try to sort of stretch up to get more, uh, a higher density of light. Um, but raising your lights when you're in flowering, assuming that your space is fully lit and you're like in a grow tent with reflective walls, Raising your lights doesn't really lower the PPFD as much as you might think it would um, across sort of the whole grow like that. It just spreads the light around a little bit more evenly, basically. You lose a little bit of light in that process, but you're getting other light bouncing back off the walls that, that sort of compensate for that. Um, so I don't think you're gonna get your plants, if you're providing so little light when you enter flower that your plants are actually stretching for light, then, then that's, that's an issue because they should be under a pretty good dose of light at that time. Um, and that, that bolting action that we call the stretch that's sort of as the plant enters its reproductive phase. Now, I've said this a lot. I don't think that that's a, a bad form of growth. I think that you should plan for that and sort of account for it and encourage it to a certain extent. Uh, I, don't, I don't encourage growers to try to suppress it if that makes sense. Um, I agree. Cool. So that's what you I know, wanted to say about that one. You know, Aaron and I were on the on IGTV on my live stream, and I'm I'm uploading that video. I just got done editing, putting in the research report diagrams and other sorts of references. So uh, it took actually kind of a bit of time. So if people are interested in that, we talk about a bunch of things, but mostly it's about redox reactions and insects and plants. So I know that's a a popular topic, but I brought, but what I wanted to say was that um, we were talking about things like plant hormones and understanding plant health. And I think bringing up the two kinds of stretching is really, really salient here because uh, one of them is something that you can manipulate more. I think, I guess you can do both, but one of them, like you said, uh, Dr. MJ is kind of like a matter of course. And it, yeah. it's not really, it's not the, it's not the bad low light stretching that they're doing because they're starving. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And so I think that, you know, we should start calling it bolting, I think, instead of stretching that. that Completely period. agree with you. Complete, I, I only reminded of it because we were talking about botrytis and I was talking about how uh, it can reside in the plant for a while. And then when the plant starts to bolt uh, yeah. with no symptoms and then it'll, you know, like, we, like I've said before, so you reminded me that way. Yeah, yeah, it's a different, it's a totally different type of stretching. And, and absolutely, if you get little, and this usually happens to seedlings or it happens in a garden where you're just really sort of a scared to give enough light. If the plants are really stretching because they're looking for light, um, they're not growing really well. They're growing tall, spindly kind of little plants. When they're bolting um, during that, what we call the flowering stretch, then 
that's like exciting. The plants are putting out new leaves, new nodes, like every day. They're like, they're vigorous. It's, it's a totally different kind of experience for the plant. I have an antidotal story about the flowering stretch. I had a strain and I ran it only like three or four times and it had a pretty decent stretch. You know, it wasn't out of control though. And uh, at the time I didn't have CO2, but I, I, I ended up getting CO2 in there and I had elevated CO2 levels and the thing stretched like at least twice as much as it usually did. And I don't know if it was other factors or, or the CO2 really, but something about it made it really stretch a lot more. So I think there is things that you yeah. can do to well, that to me, see, so that, that is good kind of growth though. So that like makes me excited. I love it when my plants, I got auto flowers to grow four inches a day during the, yeah. the bolting period there. And I loved it. I thought it was so exciting. So my, my interpretation of that would be that carbon dioxide was otherwise the limiting factor during that period for growth. And by supplementing the carbon dioxide, you brought the plants closer to their potential. Full. Yeah. You're probably yeah, right. Exactly. I bet you're right. Mm-hmm. exactly but that's so the opposite of like having a seedling that's like not getting enough light that's like stretching up and falling over and stuff you know what i mean that that that's right. just... that, that i could see being a light issue with the with the seedlings but more right, right. exactly and you want to try to correct that you want to try to give enough light to prevent that kind of stretching but in that bolting period i mean the reason that people try to, to tamp down is because they sort of are a little bit out of pocket. I mean, they, they, their space is already full and they don't have room for this growth that's going on. And, and they let it go too far, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So th- that's really a matter of planning. And, you know, you didn't flip soon enough, probably, or you have too many plants or you just need a bigger space, whatever it is. But I'd rather plan for that than, than try to work around it. I wanted to address the comment uh, by Kush Cloud. Uh, and I want to ask your opinion, Dr. MJ, because I gave some advice already. Um, they asked, uh, anybody know about UVB? I got a 30 watt uh, HLG UV. Should I be running it for the whole 19 hours on or should I just, uh, I guess, do the 12 hours recommended? And I just want to say UVB can be very damaging to plant tissues, uh, your own tissues, including your eyes. And so you should wear eye protection, right? And that's a very long time to have a UVB, UVB uh, light pointed at your plant. I guess it depends on the intensity, right? But um, yeah, so I think they're talking, and I just saw that like the micro UVB tube. Um, it's designed primarily for use during the flowering cycle. So I don't see why you would ever be running it. Well, I mean, if you're growing auto flowers with it, I suppose. Um, it is fairly low dose and you shouldn't be in the tent when it's on or in the grow space when it's on. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, I do think he intends that to be the, the full light cycle though during the flowering period. So not just a portion. Oh, that makes more sense. Yeah, okay, cool. I, that's why I addressed it because I wanted to make sure <laughs> I wasn't misinterpreting that. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Nice. I got another question for you came from chat too. Um, Smiley's Garden is wondering what are your some tips to remove bees from a static compost pile? So a compost pile you're not turning. I'm assuming they're ground bees. I don't I don't think honeybees built that yeah. compost pile. That's, that is a good question. I can see honeybees doing that, but if it's like bumblebees or something, um, I think it's a similar process. Uh, if there's a swarm and you have a queen, but honestly, I would recommend you get a professional to do it. 
uh, and not try to do it yourself unless you plan on killing them. And if they're honeybees, I'd feel less problematic about it because um, to be honest, a lot of swarming bees, honeybees become vectors for pathogens for other pollinators and also other honeybee keepers. Um, and sometimes mismanagement of apiaries cause uh, that to happen. Also, it's swarming season. I'm getting lots of pictures and videos of people asking what this ball of congealed flying insects is. I'm like, oh, those are all ants. Those are all ant queens and, and males too. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my uh, opinion on that is that you should definitely try to get somebody else if, if possible. And if not, um, I, it's very difficult to make a makeshift uh, <laughs> a suit. I know in my parts growing up, the farmer's go-to was gasoline in a match. <laughs> you could try to smoke them out. Exactly. Is there a queen with ground bees? Because, yeah, you grab the queen and they all follow. Yeah, or no? Yeah, like with bumblebees and stuff, um, I'm pretty sure that they split off like uh, honeybees do. Um, and also bumblebees and a lot of other bees, believe it or not, typically do nest in the ground. Also a lot of wasps do as well. It's kind of... Uh, it's way more common. Um, it's kind of like how honeybees, there's not a whole lot of those that make honey, but or not a lot of bees that make honey, I should say. Um, but honeybees happen to do that. And they also happen to nest in like, you know, trees and things like this. So let me ask you this, uh, do they hibernate in the winter? So like in the winter time, could you stir up that pile and they'll be in there still alive or yeah, um, they, they do have like a dormancy period uh, during like winter and things like that. Definitely depends on where you are, though, because like and if they don't have enough food, see, that's what happens is that sometimes due to somebody taking care of them and having something happen, maybe there's a stressor, you know, maybe it's something that they did unknowingly or, or whatever, or maybe it's just the swarming season or the hive is too big. Um, sometimes what happens is that the queens kill each other. Sometimes what happens, like a few, like a future queens are produced sometimes, and the queens tussle it out, and one dominates the other, or one just leaves of its own volition and takes part of the hive. Um, so those are like those are the common ways that that happens, and they have to find a place to reside. And if they pick the wrong place, they can get infected with something or um, they can get damaged or they don't have enough food they'll just kind of die or become weak and sickly and then you get things like varroa mites and and that sort of a thing and other parasites and pathogens get in there and the workers pollinate the flowers and then pollinators come and use those same flowers and they get transmitted to them well that's, uh, there's several that's several viruses actually in that way that's interesting could you use that as like yeah. a predator on the bee <laughs> the virus right put throw some virus on them <laughs> Yeah, maybe so. I'll, I'll I just get a mite. My... Introduce that mite. Oh and man, varroa mite is a plague for for honeybees. I would uh, I would greatly you recommend want to not it, using yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, you make a good point. Like uh, I I make a I don't make it unknown to people that I'm not a, the biggest honeybee fan in the world. Um, from an ecological perspective, I still love honey and everything, and I and I still want to like keep bees myself at some time in my life, but. Um, you got to do it responsibly. I just want to do a very fast, quick shout out to a company that I just met yesterday called Native Made 313. 313 is an area code in Michigan, Detroit. And um, 
I was at the Hash Bash Cup and I bought a, they, they make it edibles. And I bought this banana bread from them. 800 milligrams in this loaf of banana bread, $20. They're my new favorite edible company. <laughs> well, how's the bread? Yeah, tell us about the bread. Very good. It's a nice and moist banana bread. Um, she, she swore to me that I wouldn't be able to taste the weed. That's not the case. I taste the weed. But I have a very, I don't know, my, my palate pulls out the weed taste really easily. I have to go to the great lengths to get rid of it myself. So with the potency being 800 milligrams, I understand why I'm tasting it. But it's not bad. I really like it. Is it really it, dense? No, it's real. Uh, it's more dense than a, a cake. But um, mm -hmm. it is light and moist. And it's good. she did a good job. She didn't put nuts in it, though. I would have put some nuts in it. Well, you just made me hungry as hell. I'm out of here. I'm going to eat. No. <laughs> <laughs> that did look good. Oh, man. This way edibles are cool. Satisfies the hunger and you get some THC. Well, temporarily. Yeah, it satisfies the hunger and it makes you hungry. <laughs> I got I, sometimes on those edibles, dude, I eat the whole house out of everything, man. It's unbelievable the appetite some, sometimes I get. For me, it's more I get thirsty. I get the worst dry mouth when I'm when I have edible high for some that reason. too. And that's where it looks like smiley, smiley smiley's kind of, more and more information is coming from smiley's direction. And it seems like it is um, maybe wasps and sort of the same kind of deal. Uh, but um, you know, you don't have to worry about the honey problem and what you're missing out. <laughs> so, uh, but they're, they're important predators. Um, if, if it, <laughs> If it made you feel any better, they love caterpillars. Explain to me. This is just me. I'm gonna pull it in a little bit. This is me just being uh, being uh, greedy and wanting information. But I see these damn carpenter bees going and eating these holes in my deck, and I can't understand for the life of me why. What did, do they actually ingest the wood? I mean, what are they getting out of making these little holes? So um, they're they're taking the wood and they're using the pulp to build their nest essentially. Uh, and some of them might be making holes to make um, nests in in there. I guess it depends on which one we're talking about or what exactly. It's a big is fat, it looks like a bumblebee almost, but really big, giant, fat bee, and they. Fly oh yeah, like those uh, like black is like a black color or a yellow color. Yellow and black striped. Yeah, uh -huh. it's not a bald faced hornet though. Those things I hate. Those are the black and white ones. Not a fan we get these uh, really large black, I guess, I think the males are like a yellow and the females are like a black color or maybe vice versa, but uh, they're massive. And uh, I have memories as a child, my mother was very uh, afraid of them because they make this like very loud buzzing sound and they weigh down the flowers when they go to like buzz <laughs> pollinate oh, yeah. them, you know? <laughs> uh, so uh, you definitely recognize when they're there. Um, but the males, so like for those who don't know, the males in, as far as I know, pretty much all, uh, you know, Hymenoptera bees, wasps, and ants, uh, they can't sting. So. Um, nice. So those big yeah. fat bumblebees can't sting me? Some of them, half of them. Actually, I don't know if it's a 50-50 split. I think it's mostly females or mostly, I guess it depends on species. But uh, yeah, you got to be careful. They, although Smart Poker does make a good point. Some of those ones have a pretty, they're pretty uh, strong mandibles. So you got to be careful. 
Yeah, they leave fucking sawdust. He said, Smod just said in chat, they leave sawdust on the ground. Fuck yeah. I, I can I can walk up on my deck and see like a little bit of sawdust and then like a perfectly round hole like somebody drilled it out almost. It's impressive. It's just annoying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes uh, you can find the, the channels thing. where you can see them sort of walking through the wood. Yeah. Yeah, I think those ants are taking the pulp, right, to use for their nest map. Yeah. So here's an outside topic and, and tell me if my thinking is wrong here. So I've got black ants. I don't know other than they're black. So black ants that are crawling all over my plants outside, but I, in particular, I have a outdoor cannabis plant too, and I'm just leaving them because I know ants don't eat, or at least those ants don't eat like plant material, at least I've never seen them eat cannabis and they're not putting holes in it, but I don't understand why they're just hanging out on the plant. I don't see any aphids. I don't see, you know, anything like that. What do plant, do they go after, I mean, are they looking for maybe nectar or something? They're not going to find it on a cannabis plant, but I don't understand why they're hanging out there and staying there. So most, most of the time uh, with these social, social uh, hymenoptera, they, um, the oldest ones are the ones that are the scouts that kind of go around, um, at least typically like in honeybees and ants and things, the oldest ones are the scouts that like, they're just trying to find food or resources or whatever they need. And different species are looking for different resources. Of course, food, but different kinds of food for different kinds of ants. Um, I'm sure that the aromatic profile of your canvas plant might be part of it. Um, of course, some, some plants produce volatiles not only for defense, but also in response to um, herbivory and, and, and that kind of a thing. And so there might be some uh, effect there. I'm not calling your plants pest, uh, full of pests, but, um, you know, they're just kind of just walking around trying to find stuff. And especially where it's hot, um, like where I am right now uh, and dry, they're going to be really looking for water um, and that kind of thing. I have seen like I have seen fire ants. I'm pretty sure they're fire ants um, uh, uh, taking out the cambium layer of a, of a cannabis plant and just like peeling it. And like, I think that they're either, I asked my, uh, my entomologist friend, Anton Zukov, uh, and he, he actually keeps a lot of ants and uh, he's way better identifying them than I am. And I asked him what could be the behavior associated with this. And he says it's taking, it's, it's probably trying to get water um some ants of course like carpenter ants like do other stuff with wood and pulp and that kind of a thing but um, that's probably the case can ants vector disease easily to your plants that's very it's very atypical i don't know anyone who really is worried about ants from like a vectoring of pathogens perspective but um, that's not to say that they don't uh that they aren't themselves great vehicles for microbes don't um, associate with them, of course. Some species are well, well known for this more than others. Um, and of course, you have the aphids that people are um, aware of, where uh, certain species will husband them. Some of them will even carry them. Some of them will eat them on occasion when like food resources are low and keep others. Uh, they're very capricious. Oh, and there was a question in the comments also. Uh, Charlie Brown was asking, uh, hornets, what do they look for? Is it sugars? And certainly some are going to uh, go after like your sugary sodas and your food 
like that. But uh, for themselves, they drink sugar. And on the IGTV with Aaron, we talked about this too, different life stages of um, at least the major holomotobola group, the ones that like where the larvae look like, you know, worms and the adults look totally different. So in insect, in the, in the giant insect group that all those various families are associated, usually the larva eats something different than the adult. And in the case of like hornets and ants and things like that, um, or at least with, I'll stick with like hornets and wasps, this is more true. They'll go after like sugars for themselves to keep their energy levels high. You know, it takes a lot of energy to beat those wings and uh, produce those toxins. Uh, but they're searching for caterpillars and meat and um, protein and fat to feed their, their grubs. So the grubs eat all of that stuff. They turn it into their pupa. And then over time, all of that fat and, and protein gets turned into their, their adult form. And then they just run like a high, a high power engine, a high performance engine on sugar. So they're, they're wanting a high sugar diet then, huh? Is that all that they eat or can they eat other, is that really what all they might also eat other stuff? It's hard to say, like, again, like uh, different species might be more, um, uh, omnivorous, I guess you could say, but that's like, when I think of like uh, yellow jackets and things like that, um, there's, they definitely have a proclivity for meats for their young, um, and sugars for themselves. One last uh, question. Honey, honeybees I've make a seed bread. I've always heard of um, grease ants and sugar ants. And I always thought that grease ants went after like, you know, the meat biomass and then the sugar ants went after, but are they, are, is it the same species and they feed it to their young or is it different species? Well, grease ants are a kind of ant. So really you just described, oh, you said grease and sugar? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, there's a few kinds of ants that are associated with like, would like like being like a, a pest of like homes and things like that and like they would go after sugar but uh some ants are not going to be as worried about it than others that's why the id is really important and uh grease ants are, are um are just one kind of that and i think that um i'm not even sure if they're called grease ants because of what they eat um i don't remember off the top of my head that was my understanding, but this is why I'm bringing it up because I, I really, <clears throat> it's all, it's just some, something somebody told me growing up my whole life was that, you know, oh no, those are grease ants. You don't have to worry about the sugar. It's like, eh, I don't know about that. I think they'll, I think they'll, uh, they'll take it if they need it. Yeah. So can you confirm or deny for me? Cause I've been meaning to, I don't know if I've asked you this before, but I've, I've forgotten on the answer. So I think this is my personal opinion. All these damn videos I see of the bees on cannabis, they're not fucking going after the cannabis flower for anything and, and going back and making THC honey out of that shit. Like, I think that's bullshit. No, right? no. Okay. So I think there was, so as I understand, so, so cannabis is, uh, was aminophilus, if I'm saying it right. Um, they're wind pollinated. Uh, primarily that doesn't mean that something can't go along and take and eat the pollen um, oh they or, do i've witnessed it they yeah there's a research report when the i actually have a yeah yeah so yeah the pollen would come off the male 
Yeah, yeah, they were opening up male flowers though to 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 suck out the pollen. Yeah. Uh, right, not a female. I, I, right, but I don't think that they're going to be responsible for actually pollinating the cannabis plants. And if you're seeing pictures of them resting on like buds and stuff like that, they're not there looking for pollen. There's probably no males present. Mm -hmm. The thing is, is that uh, there, there are different kinds of bees, right? So like honeybees, and I think there's a fellow who, I, I think the story is that he trained them or he somehow conditioned them to like, like hang around on the buds or, or maybe guy. he just put honey on it. I don't remember what I happened. I think his name or is the bee trainer on Instagram, I want to say. And he's like this French guy and he's had uh, um, the same pack of or genetically same bees for a long time. And he's trained them to, to um, ingest those particular sugars and, um, and their honey apparently has a THC content. There's right, certainly like examples of carboxylated. So then you would have to cook the honey. Well, I don't know I what don't the, know I don't know what the, like the activity of the THC is, if it's THCA or THC or, you know, decarboxylated, I don't know, but well, it wouldn't be decarboxylated unless it had, unless the bees heated up or something. I mean, they, they do get pretty to, warm when to, they're like near the, yeah, I don't think they get that warm. That'd be, that'd be Not really that warm. Yeah. That'd be really, um, hot. they can't do that. Uh, so don't forget, I, the, don't forget the decarb happens over time too. It just takes yeah, it's a, it's an aging process as well. It could. Yeah. Honeybee is, honey is one of the bread. best preservatives. True. Sort of anywhere, it, right, it yeah. will cut off the a lot of those processes. I emailed this guy, by it's the true, way, yeah. about seven or eight years ago, and I was like, I will pay whatever price. I want to get this honey. When <laughs> it is, he never emailed me back. So I don't know if he's really about it. Well, maybe not. But uh, I do want to say that. With, with regards to like, so like honeybees are, there's definitely examples of people. Um, and I actually know somebody personally who's done, who's actually uh, gained some of this uh, mad honey. This is where it has, when it has rhododendron um, nectar in it. And it's um, certain species of, and I think maybe all, but like certain species of rhododendron, the nectar is, um, uh, it's a deliriant for people at least. Um, and maybe other mammals. So um, there's definitely cases where you can get psychoactive substances as like a, you know, as like a carrier or carried in the honey, I should say. But um, uh, the helictidae, the sweat bees, those solitary bees that are running around pollinating a bunch of plants, um, the native bees like that, those ones will definitely take terpenes and pollen from cannabis plants. And I also have a research report somewhere in my... Um, folders here that I can come and get later uh, that also goes over various bees associated with cannabis. But again, it's important to note, it's not for pollination primarily. It's because the terpenes are used for pheromone production. They're used as a, for hygiene, you know, cause like, you know, those terpenes, those, those terpenes can have antimicrobial effects. That's uh, helpful for them. And of course the pollen is a great protein source uh, for things that are going to use it. And in fact, that's probably how the pollinator syndromes that we're familiar with started, is that especially like little beetles and things would feed on pollen. And over time, that become a, they become a great vector for um, facilitating that interaction. So, but there, and also uh, while I've got you guys here thinking about pollinators, I just want to say that flies are actually some of the most 
uh, sort of widespread and most common pollinators, but people never think about them because of the, the, um, the popularity of the honeybee. One thing I want to have a question shot to me in chat, but it's not something I want to, it's, it's, I'd rather just say it than try to type it all out. Uh, Uncle Rick is in chat. Cheers to you, buddy. Um, he's asking me about RSO and he said that he has, he has read or heard that you can use, you know, leaves and stalk. How about the material I remove in week one to three in flower from defoliation and lollipopping? Now, really my answer is you can use any, any part of the plant that you feel has a trichome on it or has a chance to have a trichome on it because really that's what you're looking to dissolve in, in this alcohol. My only, the only thing you have to figure out for yourself is, is there's going to be obviously low returns on the things that don't generally grow lots of trichomes like stalks, for example. Um, and so that's just going to be, oh, lost my mic. That's just going to lose. That's going to be extra work. You're processing a lot of material and getting low return. You're still getting any return. Um, so you'll have to make that decision on whether that return is worth the effort or not on if you want to include that stuff. Me personally, I'll go to, I'll say low quality. I'll go as low quality as like trim, but, uh, I don't save defoliation. Like when I go defoliate a few leaves, I don't, I don't save those to run through RSO. I, I just compost those it might be worth it for you. I'm not sure. You're going to have to just run it and see, and see, see how you feel as far as the amount of workload that that would entail. Just since it's so proximal to what I was saying before, I, I did locate the paper about the bee community and cannabis and the title is called, and I'll type it in the comments, the bee community of cannabis sativa and corresponding effects of landscape composition. And this was published in environmental entomology. Uh, pollinator ecology and management and uh yeah so and there i think there's some pretty nice pictures in here actually i just want to take a look yeah uh, we've got uh, honeybees we've got bumblebees uh we've got you can share screen that do i think the oh yeah why don't i do that huh yeah <laughs> modern problems require modern solutions that's that's an awesome uh Shit, I lost the word. A reference? Homage? Yeah, well, I love Dave Chappelle. It's an awesome, let, it be known, uh, let it be known. I love Dave Chappelle. Damn, I can't, I can't get the word, but... That we can scre share screens. That's awesome. That's, I think, <laughs> the technology the original, is there. You guys the original the Dave Chappelle show, man, was some of the funniest stuff ever. I mean, that is hilarious. And uh, Dave Chappelle would also make that uh, qualified statement as well. The first season of Dave Chappelle was particularly good. And, yes. and maybe uh, some of the charm lost its way. So here we have, uh, you guys can see this, right? Yes. Yep. Uh, so we've got honeybees. So Apis mellifera, that's your standard honeybee. And bombus apations, some... Uh, bumblebees here one of many there are many 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 bumblebees and some of them are um you know very endangered uh, and very difficult to kind of track too so ecologists um, are having a tough time with it and uh, if i haven't said it too much already uh, native bees are way more important than honey bees uh, looks like this is looking at um 
this yeah this is over time so this was the this is the sampling on the bottom here and the average number of wild bees uh and, and a and b that, are but see that what do you think that means when it says in there that it's you know it's the average number of wild bees visiting hemp flowers are they visiting male hemp flowers i mean obviously right I mean, how, oh, how I think it's both. I think it's both. I think it's both. I think okay. it could be, like I said, the terpenes are great for um, uh, for just, various. I'm just postulating it as like. Oh, yeah, but Matthew, just saying, if there were more males, would there be more bees? That that's all I'm trying to say. I, I I understand you can get some things from a female plant, but I think I gotta believe just by seeing what fucking a male plant can dump. I gotta believe that the bees are more attracted to the male. Definitely the pollen, definitely the ones that are going to be using the pollen for that. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's any actual real pollination activity, if there's nothing calling the bees attention to the female plants, um, insect yeah. pollinated plants usually try to attract the insects to both male and female flowers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's floral resources that are usually invisible to us, or at the very least, the part that's super attractive is not like a, right. very overt to us. Um, I, I see here in this uh, little figure. But actually, here, I saw that as you scanned past that article, they were describing how there were no indications on the flowers to attract the. Oh yeah, yeah, you saw that organisms. I think I read that right at the top. Oh, I believe it in the abstract. Yeah, might be in the abstract or as you were scrolling down. I don't know. They talked about the absence of brightly colored flowers and other things like that. I just that saw makes it too. It's towards, the, it's towards the top first paragraph on oh, the right did you? side. Okay, well, I believe after the abstract. First... Okay, okay. So I was assuming that they would have also, I mean, yeah, that they okay. might, they wouldn't just focus on sort of whether it was attractive to us, but that they would have known that they were attractive or not to the, the, the insects. It definitely. Um, makes it was sense. in methodology, I think, in method. Oh, yeah. It might have been. I was reading the methods part. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, you were on Typical. that. You went, you went past it. You went past it. You went past it. Oh, oh I'm oh, not past it. Right pass there. It. Sorry, I'm looking at the wrong. <laughs> I'm screaming. You guys, we have a <laughs> He's looking at you too. <laughs> you got oh, well. <laughs> like, ah. <laughs> that explains that. That explains that. There we go. Anyways, it looks like an interesting article. But all those pictures, yeah, are showing bees harvesting pollen. I think that the pollen is a resource for the bees. I'm not sure that the bees are providing much of a service to the cannabis plants. 100% agree with that interpretation. Yeah. And, and you can see here, for example, um, yeah, this is this figure. Yeah, go uh, back into it, the. Oh, sorry, I'm I'm still looking at the wrong screen. I'll stop <laughs> it. I'm gonna I'm gonna stop making comments. <laughs> no, it's okay. I I do find this figure fascinating. So this is the, an ordination point plot showing the position of hemp visiting species, which are the points, uh, relative to the vectors of environmental variables, which are the lines. So solid lines indicate that the environmental variable was significantly associated with variation of community. I don't know what that variable is uh, in the moment, but uh, we can see here. I'm going to recognize some of these genera, like the Lassioglossum, the Xylocopa, which was the carpenter bees we were talking about. That's a carpenter bee uh, uh, genus, I believe. Helictus, like the Helictidae that I was talking about earlier. So this is like a sweat bee confusus that I think is a very common species. Um, do I have any other special ones here? No, no, just these, these three genera here. So I mean, I'm not seeing a whole lot of variety, at least in that figure. But um, yeah, I, I think people should take a look at it. Uh, this conclusion says, let's, let's look at the first sentence. Hemp is a high pollen producing crop pollinating 
during a period of floral resource scarcity and supports a diverse array of bees in the northeastern U.S. landscape. Well, there you go. So, yeah, it's mostly supporting the insects and not the other way around, at least right, it's a one uh, in the first sentence. <laughs> Uh, I guess you're yeah. saying that that's going to be more helpful. Well, there's but no need, there's no need for a plant like cannabis to have insects help them. Um, they're just really effective pollinators, and they're they're and they're promiscuous female flowers. So, not to mention they've had humans to breed them for thousands and thousands of years. They've they've probably right. bred away from the ability or need. Well, we actually go to tremendous lengths to keep them from pollinating themselves, just like randomly. And every indoor grower that's knows, us, like, you get like, one grain of pollen in your plant, you're going to end up with a seed someplace. It's like that's how good they are. At, yeah, like, but that's that's centimia, and that's a recent that's a recent design. I mean, for thousands and thousands of years, cannabis breeders put out both sexes of plants together. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, and never did much to have to help them reproduce. They they just reproduce themselves. Yeah, I do want to call attention to the entomologist Crenshaw here, um, or at least this uh, reference to him. Um, growers, extension agents, and policymakers should consider risks to bees as pest management practices are developed for this crop. And I agree yeah. uh, vehemently, not to make the grower's life even more complicated, even more restricted um, at various levels. But um, if you're trying to be environmentally, there you go. If you well, want to that's be what I was thinking about when we, I mean, this whole conversation started with like, how do I get rid of these bees? Um, and that's what I was thinking sort of at, at, at that point. Oh, look, they're, they're associating here. The height of the hemp plants provide a strong indicator for both the diversity and abundance of hemp bees, commu hemp's bee community. Uh, overall, uh, greater overall amount of pollen. Tall plants are more apparent than, okay. Well, yeah, that's but they must in some place in this they must be talking about the presence of male plants because yeah uh, if, if they're talking about well, they said management practices for the industry they should be aware that the industry is not going to be growing a lot of male plants and if it's really the bees that are dependent on the pollen from cannabis uh, there may be a, a an issue with the way the research was conceived if they didn't see that as a, as part of the problem do you see where i'm going that if they're saying like yeah um, They're saying you, know, you should cannabis be... management needs to consider the bees, but the cannabis growers aren't going to be growing bee food anyways. They're going to be growing. Hopefully. Flowers. I think yeah, what they're but... saying is that you guys really got to not grow Hermes. You got to stop That's... it. You got to stop it for the bees. Stop yes. growing bad plants. Well, the spray <laughs> only the grow males inside, only grow males inside. How about that? It'll still be around. I'm on it. Uh, no more Hermes. Got it. Yeah, exactly. I think that we can all agree with that. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. I'm going to stop sharing now. But it seems one part of their message there was that, like, this is a service that the cannabis industry is providing is bee food or bee habitat, um, and that that should be considered in management practices going forward. But I'm not, that seems tenuous at, at best. I believe yeah. that if you were growing a lot of males, you would have bee habitat. But if you're growing a lot of females, I don't think you you do. That's yeah, a, and I that seems like a hemp relevant. You know, like mm -hmm. when you're just throwing seeds out and you're not you're not calling. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not going to affect the 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 sort of cannabis specific side of that. Then. Yeah, I mean, they keep even in this other paragraph. I don't have it up, but yeah, they're saying. Hemp provided pollen resources to important pollinators in the yeah, NYS. Yeah. yeah. 
community was not dissimilar to prior work describing hemp visitors in northern Mississippi and other places. Um, it says here in New York, 60% nearly of hemp's bee community was represented by honeybees, which may be considered the most important. Uh, well, maybe to your <laughs> You don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's stop reading that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, let's cherry pick right here. No, Matthew, uh, well, I, well, yes. On the, on the pictures of the bees, what was number D or letter D? Is that a honeybee or no? C and D were uh, bumblebees, uh, bombus and patience. All right, because that's what was on the, the ones that I was just showing. The, the, there was a ton of those on one male plant. I swear, it, it was at least 50, and it could have been more at one point. I could not believe how many bees were on that freaking plant. Oh, I, yeah. And I, and I think like what Dr. MJ is saying, it is, it's mainly they're talking about in the pollen case. I do bring up the terpene stuff because I have seen uh, sweat bees kind of hang around. But yeah, they, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about it too much. And um, most bees are large enough that they're not going to get like uh, encumbered by the sticky, gluey trichomes. They have a pretty robust uh, body, even the small ones. So I wouldn't expect them to get like caught in there. Like you might have like gnats and things that might do that sometimes or aphids. Are they just after your actual, the moisture from your sweat? Or are they after the, the salt in the, in the... Kind of both. The water is definitely a great boon and the salts and other sorts of things are a nice little, um, uh, little uh, addition there. So, man, it's so irritating. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I want to shout out Astro Charlie. I see him in chat right now. When I was at the Hash Bash Cup, he walked up to me while I was eating some jerk chicken, which was fire. I can't remember the name of the place, but he handed me his first harvest, uh, a nug from his first harvest, couple nugs, and it was 24 karat, and I've been smoking it, and it's fucking amazingly good, dude. So fucking good job. I am just blown away that that's your first grow. Dude, pat yourself on your back. Well-deserved. It's good shit. Dude, guess who's coming up to see me tomorrow? Fucking C Dub is he in the chat? C -Dub yeah, he was here earlier. C, C Dub's coming into the coming to the to the ranch tomorrow, and we're Bad gonna ass, kick it, dude. Yeah, Hell yeah. I thought you, I thought you were gonna say Snoop Dogg. Nah, that's next year. Right. Next year, okay. <laughs> he is doing a lot of side projects. I saw him on a on a on a meme with uh, Martha Stewart for a big lighter. <laughs> other things too <laughs> i also i also saw him get really mad dying in fallout that was a uh, that was humorous uh. <laughs> it's always the mosquitoes has I anyone heard it. of the show on i think it's a youtube show it's called canna cribs have you guys heard of that no but i feel like i know everything about it just from the title <laughs> well they're they're i had never heard of them and until they got a hold of us and wanted to film in at Mitten Canico. A uh, long story short, they came to Michigan and they filmed at a lot of places. But um, they do a show. They have two shows. It's called Canna Cribs, which is like for the really big operations, like big giant commercial operations. And then for us, for our size operation, they have a thing called what do they call it? Deep Roots was is the episode. It's going to be months before they figure it out, but. Uh, they were here, they were there this week for like three days, whole camera crew, like, like our whole facility, five people worked there. They brought 12 people. I think it was <laughs> over the camera crew and all this, 
booms and and it was really surreal it was really surreal they were like interviewing me for i got to talk about the mother room and uh they had me do another bit in the bedroom so such a weird experience but it was cool at the same time so uh shout out to those guys i don't think i don't know if they're watching or not but uh, shout out to them did but they slap makeup it. on you no, no, dude, I wouldn't that's good. that shit. I wouldn't <laughs> you get that's why you would lose the that's why you lose the presidency, Spartan. Yeah, that's you're too, fine. Just... I'm okay with that. I'm cool with that. It's <laughs> probably for, yeah. I but, think you're you saving know, yourself a lot of worry that way. Exactly. Do you ever see a president going in and coming out? Those pictures are terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> agreed, pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Four years is 40 when you're the president. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm just super stoked to see that because we're really in in the uh, grand scheme of things, even in just if we're looking at just the Michigan market, Min Canico is a small fish, man. I mean, we have a three thousand plant count. <laughs> I mean, there's facilities that are stacking the biggest license you can get like five times, and they've got these giant greenhouses. So I don't know, man. I was feeling really proud of myself and, and the team and everybody to, and, and you know what? I have to shout out to just the cannabis community because they found out about Mint and Canico from fans of the show, of their show. And their show, their reach is, is insane. It's ridiculous. Like they had, over, like, I think it was a million views on one of their episodes. They had 500,000 on another. So I'm surprised I've never heard of them with them having all these views, but I don't know. But um, I was just, I don't know. I was just really happy about it. And I thought it was cool that they heard about us through fans, like organically. And they put a poll up, I guess. And they said, you know, they, they had like a name of all the different companies that they had, were wanting to check out in Michigan. And we won the poll from, from the people of the, their fans, like the people that watched their show and they voted on the poll. We won hands down over all these other companies that have billions of dollars or millions or however much money they have, in, you know, these giant facilities. So I, I don't know. For me, I love stories like that. The little guy, I always root for the, so I don't know. I, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I've been flying high on that all week. I've been in such a good mood because of that. It's, and I have to say, yeah, that is the cherry on the top that they found you uh, sort of organically. You didn't reach out to them. You know, you didn't make any sort of special deal. You know, it wasn't some agent. They were just like, hey, who's good? And uh, apparently it was you. Yeah, awesome. man. That's the kind of stuff. And like, even if we were to ever get an award or something, I would want it to be an award where it was a, a an organic you're not organic but i mean you know a cup where the people got to vote on it not this bs that most of these cups are but you know where it was like an actual let everybody try this everybody vote and whose is the best it's not this you know whose buddies and whose friends and i mean no, I was just going to say, I'm not going to name names, but I'm going to name names because shame on you, High Times <laughs> Magazine. Shame on you for being where, what you are now from what you, where you've been. You know, High Times oh, Magazine, no. you can buy judge packs now. You can buy, that was this latest cup that, that they had here in Michigan. You could purchase judge packs. Give me a break, man. That's the sick. Wait, you mean you can yeah, purchase I can curse, a seat at the, judge, at the judge panel? Yeah, the, the packs where you're the judge, you know, the, the packs that go out to the people that judge for High Times. Oh wow! You could, you could just buy them. So, what would stop a facility with I'm buying them all and voting? For- yeah, man, 100%. they've been doing this shit. They've been doing this shit in California for yeah. ten years, man. It's an absolute fucking shame. And I I'm not the, this. And on the next episode, you'll learn that sometimes they even switch the names. 
So you think <laughs> would, it's the one oh, yeah. thing, but it's not. It's not. I yep. would I would wager to guess that after like the first two real high time cups in Amsterdam, all the rest were unlegit because to money. Like that I remember hearing stories. You buy 10 ads and high times during that year and you got a spot at the cup and stuff, you know, if you buy more, whatever, whoever bought the most wins the cup basically is what I was hearing. All I want to say is that indulgences didn't work very well for the Catholic church. It might be a spicy comment, but it's true. I mean, I, I think that's a little bit, it's yeah. a little bit off base here. Uh, <laughs> you, just, you just buy the panel. The I don't panel, think high seems... times really tries to hide what they're doing about that either though. I mean, I, I think that, well, what if everyone bought I think you, the seat you and then we have like it's marketing? I mean, and that's what they're doing. They're marketing, and that's how they make their money is by selling clever ways to to market this stuff. I think the problem is believing that sort of winning those kinds of things really is representative of the product that the consumer is later on going to buy. That's mm-hmm. kind of where I was getting at. Yeah. Well, that's more like the high times in the past when it was early on it was more a counterculture here's the information even though the government doesn't want you to do this yeah now, they went public a couple of years ago or like last well, year high times is not <laughs> yeah that's what i'm saying shame on them for taking the high times name and shitting all over it and making it into what it is now that's what i'm saying that's what i'm saying it's like back in the day it was about the community it was about the yeah. plant and it was about the love of it and it's not that that magazine is not about that at all now no, I, probably it, most, I mean, that's completely corporate. Yeah. It's, it's probably the most 2010s thing to say ever, but I kind of feel the same way about like, like, you know, like you see fan pages and things. And, and although I don't really associate with a lot of, um, well, at least like social media pages, like Facebook in particular, but it's obviously Instagram, YouTube and other places, Twitter. Um, I feel like, like sometimes you get like groups or like meme pages. I'm going to say, where like they start up as like some sort of like kind of small niche group and I'm, I'm a part of a few but like I just don't engage anymore because like <laughs> that it becomes really massive you get like hundreds of thousands of people who like they get on these pages and people eventually realize like or at least have some sort of a um, assessment that like I could I could make money off of this you know I could I could make stickers shirts whatever um and I don't know, it, it like it's, you kind of feel this, like like you said, Dr. MD, like a corporati- corporatization like kind of ensues, this sort of like monetization. Yeah. And then it's well, like, I it's mean, no that's something that I, I think about a lot in what we do at Cocoa for Cannabis and thinking about how to keep it focused on the community and, and how not to sort of go corporate and just pursue opportunities to like make money on things. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I sell right. shirts and stickers because, you know, it helps support it helps support us as a small business and it gives us a larger reach than just California or Oklahoma. You know, I can, I can sell Spartan a shirt for 20 bucks and he can tell his homie and they can't even get my weed, but they can rep my brand. And it's a, right. it's a poise for, for, uh, for a federal market. I totally I agree with that. But counterpoint. Selling merch. I mean, you're, you're not, <laughs> you're selling merch and we've certainly sold merch to Cocoa for Cannabis too. It's because people want to pay you to like wear your shirts or something that I don't see any problem. Yeah. With sort of I satisfying that demand. Yeah. I, I just agree don't with know that. represents, I don't know if that represents corporate culture so much as the, the um, oppressive structure of, of management 
Um, it, the it's the how you do employees. recommendations for things and how you do cups for what we're talking about with high times. It's are you a neutral arbiter or are you marketing? I how mean, many scruples yeah, exactly. did you get rid of yeah. in order to like gain exactly. your power? What do you stand for as a brand? Where's your integrity? What does this mean on that level? Or are you just a business? Are you just trying to to be a business and you know we get accused of being of trying to be a business and i always like no i'm like that's not just what we're trying to do and if it was i'd probably be doing things differently um you of all people i feel like especially you've got you've got the like <laughs> i'll take this as a compliment but i feel like yeah you you understand what you could be doing if you're trying to be uh uh way more um geared in that direction Definitely Doc is like the prime example of that. Yeah. He's like, he could be making a fuck ton of money off of these companies, but he's really, he really services the community. Dude, I'm on his website like three times a week. And, you know, I have a conversation with him scheduled on Tuesday because the the guy knows what he's talking about and he's doing a lot for the community. So I don't mean to say that you're, yeah, I didn't take it personally like that. I'm just saying these are real issues. Like you really, if you want to do it a different way and I don't necessarily think, you know, I, I just look at high times now and I think that yeah, they're a business. I mean, that's that's what they're doing. They're in they're, uh, the you're marketing business yeah. is what they most publishers do. Um, and so I take everything that they say with that grain of salt. If they were really trying to present themselves as a neutral arbiter and then it turns out that they're, you know, selling judging passes or whatever, that would be a scandal. But if they're if they're representing themselves as an advertising agency, which is essentially what they are, then then it's it's less so. I think it really has to depend on on to some extent that. And I wish all businesses were sort of more ethical than they are, but I understand that that's sort of the way the economy works. I'm totally fine with with companies making money. You know what I mean? Obviously, but I'm, I just don't like the like what Aaron was alluding to with like the corporate structure, like when one guy or one girl or one person is making money and everybody else is just getting by living paycheck to paycheck, that's the shit I have problems with. Right. I mean, that's the stuff, you know, well, it sounds that's misrepresenting things. I don't like it either. They're they're trying to say that this is sort of a a real judged event. And then they're, yeah, I mean, so there's an issue of perceptions and stuff like that, but I, I just think that that's what we should expect from companies like that. Small poker ass. Uh, I have a question for anyone. Anthocyanin are flavonoids. I read. What exactly are flavonoids in regular terms? Uh, this color is caused by acids and not sugars. I think he's talking about um, the chemical composition. Maybe. I actually this don't know. I'm not a like chemist. A, a, a question that Jack would like to answer more than anybody else, probably. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I also can't answer that um, off the top of my head. Um, my answer would be... Uh, there are different it. kinds of flavonoids, though. Oh, sorry, I keep going. No, no, I was just saying, like, yeah, I know nothing about that either. I would say Google it, but that's counterproductive. We're here for you. It's my <laughs> yeah. brother. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a lot of uh, information on flavonoids, in, but I can recall just in my foggy memory about it, that every time I see them come up, they're always grouped together with terpenes and flavonoids. So it's always one of those, this, 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 and this, but I've never gone deep dive just on specifically flavonoids. So that's- Esters, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I think that this is the question that, that I would pose to Jack. So I think we should probably just wait and get to it next week when Jack's here. 
I think if we Although, spin around in a circle and chant his name three times in the dark, he will show up. Probably. <laughs> probably. Or or like or like his mind will be drawn this way. He'll be like, he'll just like zone out and we'll just ruin his day. So maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> now, uh, you know, a cursory cursory Google search, you know, I don't I don't hopefully it doesn't come across as like crass or something, or like let me Google that for you. But I I generally wanted to know in my head. Uh, it is a class of uh, polyphenols, says Wikipedia. It is a secondary metabolite, of course. Um, and this just reminds me of what me and Aaron were just talking Dude, about. Just, it sounds like a tannin, yeah. Well, yeah, like uh, well, we were talking about how insects um, use uh, redox reactions or their gut pH to neutralize um, polyphenols, for example, and uh, phenolic compounds that are used for defense or to deny the insects uh, certain nutrients and things. Right. Um, so they can be a, they can certainly be a defense compound. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do not know very much, um, but we should have a, we should have a topic that's more geared to that sometime in the future with Jack. I, uh, I, like I said, in the, on the live stream, I am not a, I'm not a chemist. <laughs> Very interesting. Anthocyanin is so interesting, man. It, I found, I saw some hash. Um, I think it was full duplex just posted um, from his anvil that was just purple hash. And, you know, so my understanding is that's rich with anthocyanin. And the way that they capture that is because that anthocyanin is only available or, or um, exits the cell um, under certain pH and, you know, certain pH, certain pressure, temperature conditions. So the fact that he was able to like extract that antho so deeply, I don't know if you guys saw a picture of it, but maybe somebody could pull it up and screen share or something, but, um, just real purple and like, and that's, that's hard to do. I've, I've read articles from Chuberto about that stuff. He was the first guy doing that back in the day, purple rosin, but, um, yeah, you have to dry the, the bud. And Is that how they do it? Out. Yeah, you have to under dry it. Yeah, you have to under dry it. And that's how you get the proper pH. That's my understanding. It wasn't rosin. It was well, Truberto was rosin, but full duplex posted water hash. I was gonna say I've seen Red Setter Farm. My buddy Red Setter Farm does he's got some purple hash too from his I believe his girls gone wild was a strain he was growing and it was an outdoor too. Right on. He doesn't do it indoor, but when he presses his hash from the outdoor, maybe that's with the pH difference. But uh when he does his outdoor that stays, I believe that was the story, but I saw that it, it was fucking purple. Yeah. And it's not a very good flavor. I've tried it too, at least in my experience, but so cool to have that. And, and it's like, interesting that it's a pH that controls the ability for this antho to escape. And it's, it's only available at a particular pH and the pH is influenced by the temperature and the, the moisture level. Amazing shit. I wish I knew more. <laughs> As do I. You ever and was there a benefit besides it being purple? Like, no, it, I don't. No, I, I don't it, think so. And in fact, it, I don't think it tasted very good. It was, you know, sort of chlorophylly. <laughs> so you can yeah. go through a really complicated process and yeah. yeah, and have something pretty to look at. It's novel, you know. It's just one of those things. It like, look what I did. Novel. Throw it away. Okay. <laughs> It but is. No, I think and, well, there's this whole world of things that I've found that are particularly attractive to people on Instagram that are like novel and hard to do, but pretty much functionally useless. But uh -huh. 
kind of photograph well. Um, this seems to fall into that category of things, maybe. Yeah. Oh, do you have another example? I do I have another specific... example? Growing yeah. plants in like a shot glass or oh, doing, sure. doing like the, the plant over rock bonsai thing. Bonsai is what I was going to oh, say. Oh, yeah. That yeah. so cool. All these things that they're <laughs> cool to look at, like making a, a cannabis plant twist around in a, in a corkscrew shape or whatever. Or they're shoving fun. a screw They'll get you a lot stuff. of likes on Instagram. And I think people spend like three months growing a plant just to take one picture of it so they can get a bunch of likes on Instagram. And I think this is sort of the world that we're living in, too. Do you know how much iron and copper went into making the Eiffel Tower? You're right. We should just melt that down, make some bullets or something. Well, actually, I think it's a form of artistic expression, but sure. I, I run into people all the time that are like new growers that want to grow like that. And I'm like, okay, you, you, you realize that this oh. is sort of like a stunt that people are pulling off. This mm -hmm. isn't actually for like production. Um, and it's just, it's interesting. There's a bunch of things that people do that, that look cool, that look pretty, that get lots of likes or whatever, but that probably aren't super effective towards like your ultimate goal of harvesting cannabis. I, uh, I agree with you. I, um, I've mentioned before that I've worked with uh, Gerber growers and I used to know a salesperson who was really trying to increase the razor thin margins of ornamental floriculture. And one of the things he looked at doing, which I thought was actually a smart move, um, was to introduce hemp flower. I think I've mentioned it a few times, but uh, it never got off the ground. But I, I thought that like, I could see how that being maybe hip and especially for the area, sort of Northern San Diego area, there's people who would totally like that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I got to say, I, I totally agree with that. And uh, I have a lot of people ask me goofy stuff like that all the time. And I'm just like, man, this has nothing to do with being a productive home yes. grower or a grower on any level. And it's it, it does kind of I just kind of roll my eyes a little bit. But I mean, yeah, it is frustrating how how much it has turned even recently in the last few years. But uh, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's exactly the phenomenon that I'm dealing with. And I want you I want to be like, this is for demonstration purposes only. Like, do not try this at home. Like, I don't care about the how much I'm going to harvest or something should be like a disclaimer on some of these things. But um, I'm waiting for when they get when they start uh, people start being able to take the variegations and making it intentional and then uh, making ornamental hemp that then everyone's going to grow it in their backyard and then it's going to grow make pollen and then no, no, it's going to no, ruin no, everyone's right? day only one person is going to grow it and then they're going to nft that and then that's not oh yeah that's true and then they'll own it forever that's right nobody could ever steal that <laughs> good times guys Hey Spartan, is about time for you. Need to uh, yeah, yeah. I need to get checking out of here. You got any final words of wisdom for the crowd here? The first word of wisdom is how's my fucking sound? I should have said that early on. A couple of people have said during the you chat. You sounded fine. Yeah, I don't. You sound They're not. The, I mean, this is the the second episode that I've I've had a couple of people say something. So I don't know. There I'll was like two times when you were when you sounded quiet. Okay, so maybe it was just yeah, just when you first quiet. got here. Yeah. Okay. I'll try to be better at that, guys. I'm sorry about that. But uh, I'm just saying grows love to everybody, man. I'm feeling good. I hope everybody else is feeling good. And by God, no matter what happens, we try our fucking asses off to get here every fucking week. If we miss one, 
We were here and we were trying. We were still here we trying. We were here last week and trying were. too. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like we were yep. here trying. We were all here. It's just sometimes it doesn't work out. We're sorry. We'll be back. <laughs> Love you guys. Love everybody. I'll be at uh, the Michigan Bros Grow Show in about 15 minutes. See you guys. That uh, is Spartan up, Grown, Spartan. everybody. Thank you for joining Thank us, you. Spartan, and being here every week. It's always Thank a you, pleasure. Easy, man. It is always a pleasure. Um, yeah, what else we got, guys? Anybody else got anything to, to fill in our last five, ten minutes here before we do our outros? I I'm just so want to shout out everybody that's here right now. Spartan is definitely one of the ninjas. There's a lot of ninja growers here that really know their stuff. Um, like I've said before, man, there was a time where I thought I was this badass grower. And then to be around some other guys like you guys, it's, it's definitely humbling. And I love learning from everyone. And definitely a shout out to everybody that is up part of this panel because uh, it is not always easy to make the show. And uh, shout out to all the OGs that are making it all the time. So for sure. Hell yeah. Well, I share that sentiment. Absolutely. I have a little filler question we could pose. Um, when, you know, we're talking about redox and the uh, balance for the plant, but, and how people like when they're watering, they lift up the plant. If it's light, they're going to give it some water. Well, if it's excessive heat, it seems like recently I, my plants are droopy and they weren't light, but I, I just was led to give them water. And after I gave them the water, they ended up perking up. Do you think that there's, um, different environmental um, like stages that the plant needs more redox, I mean, more reduction or more oxidation, I guess is the question. That's a, that's a really good question. And could you I, say that again? Idea. Right. So like, yeah, let's say it's super hot. I would think it would want to be more, uh, now we're getting reversed you know more water oh, yeah more, more yeah it would want more water yeah reduced more reduction or you know, like how you guys know the concept of redox right you want that like kind of balance <laughs> well um, we have a big video for people who are interested me and aaron on my uh, youtube right channel. that's what made me think about it when you brought it up earlier i, I wouldn't assume that the, the whole audience understands so you I mean, go ahead oh uh, yeah you guys difficult. go ahead <laughs> i can't explain it redox is is the transfer of electrons so you at have, least that's one of what's one of the one of them that's one way it happens um it, it's uh it, it, my understanding is that's the transfer of electrons between chemical species it, it can be a transfer it can be a share you know like a covalent bond can be a uh, a redox reaction a redox is the reduction and ox and oxidation it's what it stands for. And um, reduction is, okay, so there's, there's an acronym for this, oil rig. So oxi oxidation is loss of electron and um, reduction is gain electron. So Correct. something is reduced, it gains an electron. So for instance, fire is a redox reaction. You have carbon that gains an oxygen um, add uh, electron, an electron from oxygen. And so it is reduced. Um, so that's a basic uh, redox reaction you can think of. Right, and in the soil, the amount of, well, at least this is the way I kind of picture it in my brain, the amount of moisture in the soil is an indication of whether it's reduced or oxidized pretty much, correct? 
I think it's the general nature of the soil. So like if it is generally overwatered or underwatered, it's going to be right. anoxic or, or aerobic. Right. Um, it's just and, and yeah. Yet, okay. Now I'm seeing where you're getting the connection here. Okay. Yeah. Well, and um, like, yeah. well, also uh, one of the things we talked about was, was, um, was that the pH plays a big role. And that's why I said electrons are part of the equation because also you can have hydrogen movement and pH is gonna affect it. That's how um, various insects, like caterpillars, for example, uh, that's how they get rid of uh, plant defenses and things. And also redox reactions like, our, like oxidative bursts when the, when the cells blow up and all the toxins come out and also when pathogens do it too they can change the pH or they can enter that into their gut with the lower pH and just flat out neutralize or not allow those reactions to be as effective as they normally would, which is pretty amazing um, when you think about it. Uh, but redox is happening all the time. And I think you mentioned originally like heat uh, and yeah. temperature. Yeah, right? yeah. Getting back to the heat, this is where I'm not seeing the direct connection between the heat, the watering and the redox. I think that I do know that higher heat, higher heat would cause more stress and I think more oxidative stress and other kinds of stressors. So, I mean, you have, we have it and plants have like heat shock proteins and things that activate when it gets real hot. Um, obviously there's like damage from ultraviolet radiation that can occur over time if it's really, if it's really, um, really problematic. Um, so I guess that would cause, that would cause changes in the cellular uh, redox potential. Uh, but that's always in flux and it's pretty much impossible to get an absolute reading. And that's right. the biggest, that's the most other... important takeaway yes. is this shit is like impossible to measure with any kind of clarity Accuracy. because it right. fluctuates so regularly. Yeah. It's meant right. to, it's meant and to happen. It's meant to constantly yeah. change. Yeah. And it's constantly different. It's different at every portion of your soil too. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you guys but know me. General, I come from like stuff. I come from stuff from kind of a like a bro science, just kind of old school way. And I was taught early on by an old school hippie that taught me a few things when I was first starting out that when it's really hot out, your plants, uh, they don't really want to like eat. You know, if like if you just ran a race, you really don't want to eat a big steak dinner. So if it's like super, super, super hot out, I always recommend just giving your plants water. Um, now, you can't do that, obviously, like, you know, multiple days in a row. But when it's like super, super like, you know. That's just something that I, that I personally use. And so my long-winded answer would be, I believe, yes, that there's different times that the plant's going to need more. It's going to need more water. It's going to need less water. It's going to need more food. Yeah, I would just food. look at this in terms of electrical conductivity, really, in terms of thinking about redox. Um, you're, you're right. The plant basically needs to cycle more water through itself when it gets really hot. And just like human sweat, plants um, transpire. And that's one of the ways that, that actually maintains their operating temperature. Um, they, they need access to more water. Um, there are things that can prevent them from getting water, even when the soil that they're in is wet. Um, largely that's electrical conductivity. Um, so if you provide fresh, plain water, it makes it easier for the plant to get the water. Um, and I actually just had to write this tips, my, my tips for dealing with the heat in the newsletter that we sent out yesterday. Um, and, and that was one of my big points, like drop the, the electrical conductivity, give your plants an easier access to water. So when I hear, heard your 
explanation in um, um, sorry, um, Tao, um, that sounded like what I would expect. The plant could be sitting in water that, that is harder for it to drink. And you added water, which reduced the electrical conductivity in solution, which made it easier for the plant to immediately intake that water. Since the plant is going to be moving more water through itself, it's absolutely true that the dose of, of nutrients in that water can be much lower. Yeah, that makes oh. sense too. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like 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 Dr. MJ says like electrical conductivity, EC, and also I think pH are um, a little bit more relevant, or at the very least, a lot more measurable and easier to kind of uh, manipulate. Um, and I think we understand it a little bit better. But like I said, like we were saying earlier, like the redox state is con the potential is constantly changing. Stressors influence it. Nutritional load uh, influences it. Uh, age all these other factors are going to, and it's also, it's also meant to constantly change because you're trying to balance out that really preposterous fact that although life really requires oxygen all the time, it's super reactive, which is both really great for, you know, catalyzing life processes, but also really great for destroying the very DNA that makes up your cell. Um, so you have to, and also structural things too. It's, uh, you know, uh, sometimes, I mean, I mean, so since it's changing all the time, I, I, it's really not, I feel like it's kind of not useful to try to track it. Right. I was going to also stay, say that like my mentality is I look at what happens in the real world, like out in nature, and sometimes it'll rain three days in a row. And most people, unless it's an everyday watering, you know, like in my, in my, uh, it's not really living soil. It's, it's organic though. It's, I don't use salts. So I don't water every day and I wouldn't want to water three days in a row, but maybe that's what they want because that's what they got for thousands of years, you know, give it, uh, keep it heavily reduced for two days and then let it get really dry for a week and, you know, do that. Yeah. But, I just, I, yeah, I do understand that, that those, those issues with reduction and oxidization are going to be happening, but I, I don't, I, I still don't think that that's the the issue that's really the plants responding to in the right it's the, with the water, with the water and, right with right all right these different things yeah. it's kind of like saying I, I if your plant if your plant like develops like a callus because of a wound you know like that's just a natural thing that happens a bunch of processes occur as like a response right and you can track all of that I guess but like you know, day-to-day -day processes, that's just, it's sort of an automatic response. It's not something that you're going to be manipulating with a high degree of granularity, right. um, you know, and uh, yeah. And, and like, and it's it, like not a management lever. It's not something that you right. can really change in your, in terms of your management practices. Yeah. Very, yeah, very the, well said. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, that was like, can you just add that to the end of our video? Cause that was, yeah, really <laughs> <laughs> the, um, you know, we, we even looked at the Olivier uh, Houssan, both of those papers, uh, there are two of them at least, and uh, in both of them in the methods section, you know, they describe how they, how they uh, sample for redox, at least in the soil. And it's, um, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I, well, I couldn't see somebody making use of that. Into your garden management practices. Seriously. Yeah, right after the quantum fluctuation of your, you know, of your, yeah, no, it's never going to happen. Yeah, Shortinger's cannabis, we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah. Is it a male? Is it a female? I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs>
I thought it was appropriate. You know, everybody is suffering in the heat this weekend and into this week. So um, my, we're all thinking about these issues and how to sort of protect our crops from them. Undoubtedly. So we should probably do our sign offs for. We probably should. We probably should. I think you're volunteering to go first, Aaron. Oh, good. Okay. So I am Aaron, the grower. I appreciate everybody sticking around. I tried, I don't know, I had a bunch of people hop in the live. I tried to do, I tried to get everybody in there. I tried to restart it. I tried to reinvite everybody. I had to update my app. None of it worked. And then I got a message that, hey, we're going live on YouTube. So it was really awesome that it came together. And um, I always love getting together with you guys. Oh my gosh, Russ Brandon just joined in. Yeah, so, because I'm a terrible host. I just realized that he was waiting in the waiting room when I uh, um, <laughs> Oh, we'll, get, we'll give you a pass. My thing. I'm very sorry, Brandon. I did not know that you were waiting in the waiting room. I don't know if you can hear us now, but um, my bad. Damn, well, thanks, for thanks for having us, guys. Uh, uh, I'm Aaron the Grower, atgacres.com. Aaron the Grower on YouTube and atgacres on Instagram. Thanks for having me. Grower love, Aaron. Um, Brandon, did you just show up? Are you maybe just a zombie because you gave up on waiting in the Zoom? I don't know. I feel bad. I felt bad as soon as I opened it up and I saw him there. Um, why don't we go over to the guy I skipped over at the beginning and um, get Noah's outro. Right on, man. Uh, yeah, it was cool that it came together. Um, I stuck around. I wanted to get on. I had been on for a couple weeks. And uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grow on Instagram. You can find me there. You can always find me on uh, this uh, Grow with my fellow growers, Sheep Home Grow Show. And uh, happy to be here and I'll see you guys all next week. Much grower love. Noah, thank you for joining us. And yeah, thank you, Aaron, for starting that the IG thing. I wasn't able to get into that. I might have been one of the problems there, but I am glad that we got it going on YouTube. Nah, I, was, I had to update. And then by the time I got the update, you guys were already figuring it out. So yes, yes. Um, all right. Let's say goodbye to the American one, Tao. Back to Coco. Thanks for and and others for taking over the reins of the host kind of duties. Um, shout out to Jack. Oh, and ped predicated breeding on IG and pbreeding.com. He wanted to let us know that he he had to leave early, but he wanted to get his info out there. Um, I want to shout out Noah the Grower, two E's for his. Um, yeah, that's a great point about the lower you see for the heat, and uh, and and Doc explaining that that was awesome. And everyone in chat, glad you guys show up every week and hang out with us. And uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Peace out, everybody. Thank you, Tao. You always do great sort of uh, collaborative shout outs, recognizing the rest of the panel and everybody. That's awesome, man. It's a wonderful sense of collaboration coming from you. Let's jump over to, I also wanted to shout out Jack in absentia. Um, he did show up, get us started, and then um, had, to, had to bail. His phone was dying. So we appreciate him. Everybody be sure to follow Jack Greenstock. Uh, let's say goodbye to our resident IPM expert, Mr. Matthew Gates. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, I am also glad that we were able to get it done. I guess it added a little bit of mystery and intrigue to see if it would happen or not. So I, I, I think that was really interesting and, and fun. So um, again, me and Aaron uh, had a basically two hour long conversation about uh, everything from philosophy of mind to redox potential in plants and insects, but it was mostly the latter. And you can check it out on my YouTube channel. It just finished uh, publishing. 
So you can check it out now, actually, if you'd like. And thank and, you for uh, all the hard work, Matt, on that. I really do appreciate it. You're doing such a wonderful job with the edits. Oh, I appreciate it. I did go a little bit more all out on this one just to make sure there were all, we made tons of cool references. And so I wanted to make sure that people knew what we were talking about. Thank you. And, um, and I appreciate that. So if you want to look that up, you can find it on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol. You can also find me on my Twitter, which is also um, at Sync Angel, as well as my Instagram at Sync Angel, just like it says on my video screen, hopefully. And, yeah, everybody um, should go and, and subscribe to your, your YouTube channels and all and, and check out your, your videos. Everybody's always got a lot of great questions and people should really know that that exists as a resource that you've put out for everybody. If you haven't checked out Xenthanol's YouTube, be sure to um, go do that right now and watch the new video. Anyways, you were going to say, Matthew? Oh, thank you. I really appreciate that. Uh, just to say that um, I really always want to shout out the chat because we wouldn't have the conversations that we do just like Spartan was fielding and uh, MJ was fielding uh, questions. So too, do we answer those questions and um, we can't have a conversation without much more people in the panel. So I really appreciate that. And I love seeing all the different names that I recognize like C-Dub and, um, and Chad Westport and uh, various other people as well. And Crack I baby just really enjoy it. Smart poker. We have Uncle Rick here. who's going through it. Zozo, uh, Shredder, LG. I always remember LG because what a name. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate it, everyone. Yes, indeed. Thank you, guys, everybody. I think that's everybody else. Am I missing anybody besides myself? I don't think so. I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com, stepping in for... Jack Greenstock, and I'm trying to help run the show a little bit today, but uh, come visit us at Cocoa for Cannabis. We got another uh, winner in our Grower Love giveaway this week, and we're going to start it again for next week, so you can sign up for the Grower Love giveaway, um, and we got strain review giveaways. We're going to start our new plant training grow challenge here um, at the end of the month, so you guys can all start getting geared up for that. Um, it was a lot of fun. Thank you to the rest of the panelists for showing up and sticking through and waiting past the, the 15 minute rule in the beginning and, and still getting on here. Thanks to all the everybody that showed up for this. You know, we were worried that you all might give up on us and, and run away and never come back. So I'm glad that it happened and we will see you again next week. And uh, yeah, for everybody, Dr. MJ Coco sending you all grower love.